Hi, I'm Ant, and this is Creator Generation. Generation A thing that you should hear as a talent is the representation should be reluctant to sign you because they should be quite busy. So a flag could be if someone's really keen to sign you and is being very aggressive and you're not sold on them yet. That's tricky. And that can happen with a manager or an agent. All right, this week on the podcast, I am flying solo and joined by my mate, Reuven Ashta from Never Napping and Dark Matter Ventures. Reuven is one of the world's top talent managers for digital creators. He works with the likes of Molly Burke, The Sorry Girls, Amanda Rachley, Timothy Goodman, Liv Stone, a whole bunch of others, and he's going to break down what makes a good agent or manager, what's the difference, how much should they charge, and what should they be doing for you, all that coming right at you. All right, let's get into it. All right, we're back with another episode of Creator Generation. It's just me, Ant Frederico, couldn't be around, but he misses out because we are hanging out with Reuven Ashtar. Reuven is, well, he's the founder, CEO, president, and all the above for Never Napping that manages some of the best creator talent in the world. Um, And heads up, Dark Matter Ventures, which is like, you know what, I'll shut up and let Reuven introduce what these two things are, who he is. Um, Strap yourselves in. Reuven, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ant. Yeah, I'll try and say it quickly. And we can we can we can go around the edges as we converse, but basically the two things I do are I started a management company. So I'm a talent manager essentially for digital stars. And I've been doing that for about eight years. And as you say, I kind of do their management and I'm the lawyer for some of them because I'm an IP lawyer as well and kind of do their deals and their brand strategy and their PR and things like that. And we'll kind of get into it, I guess, because yeah. um, there are so many examples, you know, and I'm sure we'll, we'll slide into them. I also work with some startups and um, companies like Deloitte and other big companies and startups in the creator space and the technology space, IP, music, art, things like that. And I'm an IP lawyer. So the primary thing is never napping where I'm a manager. And then I also do this other stuff. So as we, as we talk through, I'm sure we'll, we'll find common themes. Let's pull that apart. So what's an IP lawyer doing managing talent? That's a, like, how does that happen? Well, I guess the better question is why, why would you have anyone managing who isn't an IP lawyer? But Snap. Um, it's kind of <laughs> deals are everything. I mean, about Disney, the news that broke yesterday night, we're recording this on Monday that, you know, the, CEO who kind of was the person who ran Disney very successfully is coming back to take the reins because one of the reasons was that the person running Disney now is one of the things was he got in a conflict with Scarlett Johansson over, you know, does Disney have a responsibility to stars when they just stream something more heavily than when it's in uh, at the box office and theaters because it affects the take home that Scarlett Johansson had, the way he addressed her as a woman, as a star. Um, also, obviously, everything that happened with um, with some other projects as well. But it often, I think the world's changing in terms of its relationship to old Hollywood, new Hollywood, platforms, streaming. So IP, intellectual property, is just thinking about those rights. So thinking about all the different parties. You know, in the case of Scarlett Johansson's vehicle. You have Marvel, you have Disney, you have different rights holder, movie theater companies, her agency, her talent agency, you know, her management, all the different players. And um, it's a constellation of issues. So for better, or for worse, IP law is always changing and uh, complex. And and then is that at the heart of then, like extrapolating that out to the, the digital creators? Like that's at the heart of like that's your philosophy then around everything the creators are creating is IP, right? I'm, I'm, my philosophy is that there is this idea in society of the internet is there's still this, this uh, narrative you still hear once in a while that the internet is cat videos or TikTok is just dancing videos or influencers are just selfies at the gym or the hotel, but there is that aspect, but the more interesting thing is thinking about all the movies that came out this year about Elvis and the Beatles and Bob Dylan. 
these are multifaceted people. And Bob Dylan really thought about how he presented himself. Um, very mindful of that, right? So was Elvis over the Beatles. And you could argue that they were, they were creators. I mean, I, I use the word creators. I know you do too. Um, and the digital aspect of it, yeah. they're interested in film and different mediums. So, you know, for example, one of the creators, to mention a few of the creators who I manage and things are up to right now, my creator, Molly Burke, who's doing a, um, a project with you now. She also just um, keynoted this, this amazing, uh, it was a, a panel on, on beauty with Teen Vogue and she's blind. Mm -hmm. And one of my other creators, Timothy Goodman, he's a graffiti artist and he does murals and he does very tactile stuff. And he, during pandemic, um, did a mural with the public school in Brooklyn with the Kevin Durant Foundation. That's now become a Nike shoe, which is about to drop. That's going to be Kevin Durant's shoe. And things kind of go full circle. So it's, we say digital creators, but really it's um, tactility and augmented reality or the metaverse and all these things are the same way that Andy Warhol would paint record covers, you know, um, times evolve and they come back and forth and art's ever changing. So mm. I think that's where the magic happens. Yeah, cool. Well, let's like, I, I really want to, because, you know, you mentioned some top talent there and you've, you've you know, we could name drop, like, and we probably should name drop some of the other creators you work with. Um, but like, what, you know, what does it, what does a manager do? Or what should a manager be doing for a creator? Because like, there's a lot of different offerings out there from managers, agents and stuff. We'll unpack that. But what, what should a manager do? Or what do you, what's your philosophy of what a manager should be doing? So it's a great question. And I think that to some extent, some things are bespoke to certain talents. So some people, someone might be primarily interested in becoming a, a writer, let's say a screenplay writer, TV writer or something, and they might want to write for other people. Someone might want to become a comedian and they use different platforms of medium. Some people want to do brand deals. Some people want to, you know, deliver a message for sustainability. So to some extent, people should craft a team around themselves. So Miley Cyrus, for instance, works with her mother a fair bit. Um, they're different kind of, um, and Jojo Siwa does as well. So there's some momagers and different types of relationships that are interesting. Uh, and obviously Chris, uh, Jenner is an interesting example for the Kardashian Jenner plan as a momager. But I think that in general, um, managers usually have a smaller roster of people. So let's say 10 or under talent per manager. Agents often have 60, 80, 100 um, people they represent, and they're more transactional. So the managers are tend to be more long-term. They tend to stick with their talent for a long time. And agents often, um, they, they, you know, it, it's, it's a, bigger, a bigger pool, and agencies represent a lot of talent. They do more deals as they come up. So movie agents... Um, and music agents and other things. So in the digital space, some people have lawyers that they give a, a percentage to. Some people have lawyers that they pay an hourly rate to. Some people have kind of a hybrid of a lawyer and a manager. Some agencies kind of help with contracts. Um, and I personally, my philosophy going back to me is that the manager should sort of be an architect of your career for many years to come because things really change over three years. You know, three years ago, TikTok was musically, I mean, obviously it's complicated, but, and primarily it was lip syncing as a lip syncing app. Um, we've seen how much Instagram's evolved, how much YouTube's evolved. YouTube now is going to be launching shorts as a real vehicle for monetization and things. And that is going to really sway the industry probably in January. We're talking in November now. Um, and then things like Snapchat, you know, they have their moments, they come, they go. And, you know, ups and downs, Pinterest now is coming in more strongly. We have, obviously have everything going on on Twitter. So a manager, a good manager, I think, should see where things are going and really come up with help, help creators come up with a plan for themselves, for sustainable streams of revenue and for creative outlets and for the, their lives. Because mental health is complicated, revenue is complicated, artistic expression is complicated. Building teams is complicated. So 
all those things are kind of under the management hat. Yeah, cool. No, I, I, I like that, like the architect of, you know, like of the career, both on and off, like the content, like, you know, what you see, the forward facing of the content output, as well as everything else. Uh, um, like, I mean, that, and then an agent more transactional, here's a deal, in, out, clip the ticket sort of thing. Is it, Exactly. So, you know, if you thought about someone like Drake, let's say, there could be an agent who works on appearances on TV shows or movies or things like that, or maybe plugging in a song into a, into a movie or a soundtrack. The manager is going to think of a more elaborate, complicated deals like Drake's relationship with the Toronto Raptors, Drake's relationship with OVO Records or OVO Clothing. And it's kind of more big picture thinking, you know, what do we want to do in the realm of fashion? What's the relationship? What's the partnership that's really going to work? Do we want to partner with a cannabis brand? Is that good for the image? And these sort of high level architecture questions. And then like following on from all this, like there's a like, who needs a manager? Like, I mean, I don't mean in that bad. Like, like when do you need representation? Because like, yeah, you know, we've been doing a lot of educational programs in North America and Canada um, and like out, reaching out to like emerging creators. And a lot of them have representation, mostly agents, but they have like a filter. And I'm, like, we're talking relatively small creators, like fewer than 50,000 subscribers on YouTube or even 10,000. Um, is there a time when a creator needs representation or like at a different level agent manager like how how do like what's your perspective on that do you do yourself out of a job it's, it's a good question i mean I, I as you can imagine i would end i mean it's kind of um, a paradoxical answer in a way because i believe that most people don't need an agent in the sense of and there's a, again, there are agents, managers, lawyers, and different things. And you could compensate someone with an hourly rate if they're a lawyer, for example, versus a percentage. You know, some agents take their percentage and they mostly service a lot of inbound. And then there's some people who are phenomenal on all those levels. I know some phenomenal lawyers um, and um, one of the, the things that you... One a thing that you should hear as a talent is the representation should be reluctant to sign you because they should be quite busy. So a flag could be if someone's really keen to sign you and is being very aggressive and you're not sold on them yet, mm-hmm. that's tricky. And, um, and that can happen with a manager or an agent. So I know stories about people who have signed with agents and over six months, nothing happens. You know, not a single deal comes in. Now, the counter argument to that is sometimes it takes time to position people in the marketplace, get awareness. That's kind of these are standard lines that are thrown around. I think that um, some people say it's the agency. Some other people say it's more the agent or the manager or the management company. So part of the things is bandwidth. So you should really think about the bandwidth Mm -hmm. of the person you might sign with. And what kind of ideas do their ideas make a lot of sense to you? Do they resonate? Is it the direction? Do they get you? I think as a talent, that would be the first thing I want to really appreciate. One warning sign is a lot of representation will look over your shoulder because they're doing email (laughs) as they talk to you. It's shocking. You wouldn't believe it, but it's so rampant. Um, Other ones, they have really junior people working who don't really understand the industry. So a more senior and seasoned manager agent will say, yeah, I want to sign you. And they just delegate your account to somebody more junior who just does the work and they kind of supervise it. But how much do they touch it? You know, and another big thing is the management company or the agency, you know, they could say we work with Nike, we work with Converse, we work with Adidas, we work with, you know, whomever. They could say whatever brand they could say. Yves Saint Laurent and Dior and Tiffany and but do they work with them? So who do they work with them? If they just, you know, if all that stuff's going to a certain creator or band of creators within that thing, what are you going to be exposed to? And then execution is huge. So how do they help you build yourself across platforms? So that's a really important thing to me. So for example, um, about in March, 
I met someone who's a, um, her name's Liv Stone and she was, um, she basically has an upper limb differential. And so her arms, you know, are really interesting looking and she has interesting digits and her arms are just super unique. And she's a world champion of surfing and she's 19 and she's a firecracker and she was walking in a disabled, um, fashion show. And she was very striking. And one of my other creators was like, wow, this person's really amazing. She had 21,000 followers on Instagram. She didn't have a TikTok account. She didn't have a YouTube account. And I spoke to her family and I said, oh, TikTok seems weird, you know? And then today, so we signed in the summer and today she has about 500,000 TikTok followers. She has 200,000 on Instagram. And then she, I'm proud to say on YouTube because growth is complicated on YouTube. She's doubled her YouTube following just this month from 16,000 to 33,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is meaningful because then you really start to, to see a growth spurt, as you know, from all your, all your doings. And she really understands the DNA. She's really thinking through, okay, my, my YouTube page shouldn't just be a filter for my TikToks. I shouldn't just be repurpose content, the fonts, the voice, the trends, how do I position things, thinking about collaboration. So manage that's, that's more of the manager's territory. Agents are thinking about transactional monetary things. So for them, it would be great if you really boost your numbers, but they're interested in the brand deal you know, the collaboration, the insertion of a paid promotion, maybe a speaking gig, maybe a book deal, maybe a movie. But as we know, I was speaking to someone today who's high up in the industry. And there's recently a statistic that 90% of the money goes to 1% in digital world versus music where it's 73%. There are these different numbers thrown around, but I really think there's a constellation of opportunity, power, money that's going to a very limited band of people and thinking through how you should position yourself as a creator is a complicated task. Cause everyone says, Oh, I'd love to go to like that really cool hotel. That's a four seasons with these bungalows and just go there and get paid. And maybe first class Eric fair. And I would do a thing. And wouldn't that be fun? It's like, sure. I mean, it's everyone wants to do that, you know? <laughs> um and what's your differentiator? So helping them think through their differentiator. Hey, just a quick interruption. We have the Creator Generation Discord community. Join your fellow creators from all over the world. We are here to help you grow, thrive, succeed, help each other be accountable and get it done. So hit the link, join us in the Discord. I look forward to seeing you there. So what, like you're talking about some you know, unprompted, which is well, sort of prompted, but like red flags and like selecting agents, managers and things like that. What sort of questions should like, how do they yeah. find, like, you know, other than have you a, a really fine tuned bullshit radar turned on, like what, you know, like yeah. what sort of questions or things should, should a creator be looking for then to know if it's like, other than some of yeah. those things, right. That you flagged, like. For sure. For sure. So number one, like I said, um, the person should want to spend time with you without rushing you off. So there's one time where one of my creators, um, I just want to kind of be general here because I don't want anything, <laughs> anyone to be able to reverse engineer to anything, but a particular story I'm telling, but we were speaking to potential agents because we were like, Oh, let's explore the idea of combining a certain offering we do with agents to also compliment my offerings as a manager. Um, which by the way, right now I'm with one of my talent We're we're doing that with an agency on the speaking front and on the book deal front, the podcast front. So certain select things mm -hmm. and kind of seeing how that goes on those particular verticals. And it's an experiment and, and we're seeing how it goes a different big agency. Um, we got a TV deal offer for one of my talent. And these, this agency supposedly really wanted to work with us. And I had redlined, meaning sort of marked up the agreement. So it was a TV show, but there cannot be really, really terrible clauses in any kind of contract. And there's no standard. You often hear about a standard contract. There's no such thing. And things are usually unfavorable to one side. So I had marked it up to, to, to change certain things, to write notes. And the agent who supposedly really wanted to work with us was like, 
really lectured us on the phone, my talent and me, about how they don't spend time if they don't sign someone and we shouldn't have asked and da-da-da. And they proceeded to say, I agree with all the notes you made. And I said, well, do you have any additions or changes? No, they're all great. You hit everything. And it's like, why would we want to work with you if you're not welcoming and hospitable and generous with your time? Because as you and I know in this industry, time is paramount. It's very precious. Connections are very precious and few and far between. And the, the, then the connectivity between those two things is really rare of you finding good meeting, good partners, good conversations that lead to action. Yep. It's a magic thing. It's timing and budgets and what everyone's looking for. So flags for me would include the person being too busy to talk to you, but also anxious to sign you. So it's fine if they say they're busy and they say, why don't we have lunch? I'm going to come to your, where you live in a month. Can I take you out for lunch to the nicest restaurant? And just talk about your channels and what you're up to and your stuff. That's a great sign. If somebody's like, you need to let me know by Friday and it's inconsiderate and they start gaslighting you, don't work with them. If someone has either their roster isn't displayed or you can't get a feel for who they work with, I think that's a weird sign. Some good places don't show on their site, but they should readily want to tell you about who they work with. If they, if you can't figure out how many people work there or who will be working with you to your satisfaction, that's a flag. Um, sometimes people tell me that name dropping is a flag. I don't think so personally. I think it's the right names and how what the association is. If they're just telling you stories about an A-lister and a party and something, it's what's the, what's the meaning of it. But if it's, if they say, okay, for your career trajectory, I, you know, I see these, these points of interest and then a plan, I would really want to hear a plan, a plan with time, a plan with platforms. I'd want to see that they knew my stuff. If I were a creator that they'd watched it and they're like, okay, it seems like you're making four types of content. A is really strong. C doesn't seem to be hitting. Let's talk about B and D. Um, if they just say you should do collaborations with people, you should do a Netflix show. Anyone can say that. That's, <laughs> you know, and then, and taking your time and speaking to multiple people, I don't think it's a bad idea. And then thinking about the timing. It's like, do I want to do it now? Do I want to do it later? I don't think it's a good, sometimes people bring up a trial period. Mm-hmm. It, I don't think in those, cause in those, let's say it's three months or six months, everyone's unguarded. It's sort of everyone's on guard. And so it might work for some people. I personally don't like it because I think it takes time to build and you can kind of see from day one. So I have short termination clauses and we can all part ways if it's not working out. And so if people don't let you out in a short termination clause, that's also bad. I think if they're trying to like keep you hostage mm-hmm. in a contract. And they should be really open to talking about the contract as well. Yeah, cool. And I guess, you know, that's something we see a lot is like one, you know, like people asking, like, it feels like I'm locked in forever. That's never good for any contract, whether it's with your yes. manager or agent or brand deal or a collaboration. Um, yes. And then like in the age old question, like what's standard, like how much should it, like what, what's a creator agreement? What's a creator expecting to give up? for an agent and a manager like yeah there's i can answer that because the first time i was tasked with thinking about this because i was a lawyer for a big youtuber before i managed anyone and i tried to do internet reading and it's very hard to get a straight answer on this across the board and so i'll say kind of anecdotally and in terms of what i see across the industry lawyers either charge an hourly rate and that hourly rate for a good lawyer is um, depending on where you live. Of course, it could be different things, but in a city like New York city, Los Angeles, um, a world-class city. So let's say junior lawyers, um, it would be very unlikely they would charge less than $200 an hour us. To 200 US dollars um, because it's just there's in legal insurance and um, office 
space and software and uh, law society fees. It's, it's an expensive business. I would say that lawyers can charge up to around $600. If you're in some crazy dispute, really like you against something really bad, a lawyer might charge $800 an hour or something. But generally in the creator space, between if you're a junior creator who's not, it's not the biggest deal in the world, it's not life or death, two or 200, $250 an hour uh, to, to $400 an hour, let's say for a good mid lawyer. And if a partner or something had to work on it, it was really complicated, it really had to do with taxes or employment or a lawsuit, I think there might be worth investing. Otherwise, lawyers do a thing where they take 5% of your gross revenue. And that's standard in YouTube world. It's standard in music. It's standard in a few other industries. The idea is that they're available to you all the time and they'll work on everything. Reality is, as you can imagine, bandwidth, ROI, return on investment, how big you are. So in music, for example, the really big bands make a lot of money if they do a TV commercial or a stadium tour or a sync. Whereas an emerging artist doesn't. And the idea is that they should both get the same treatment. They don't often. Some lawyers are amazing. Agents, it's fairly standard. It's 10% of everything. Managers really depend and they fluctuate between 10. This will sound like a wide range, 10% and 30%. The reason that it fluctuates so much is that different people have different roster types different skills, different connections, and they offer different services. So some agencies don't do the legal so much. Some managers help with different things. Some of them do invoicing, some don't. Some help plan tours or do different things or merge, some don't. Depends what their team is like, what their staffing is like, what their offering is like. So one of the things people encourage people to do is to think about their reputation, representation across the board and if they're servicing what they need. So some people have a manager, an agent, and a lawyer, some famous YouTubers. Some famous YouTubers only have one of the three or two of the three. And everyone has strong opinions about it. And some people bounce between agencies but stick to their manager. So a lot of YouTubers have had the same manager for a long time. And I think that's also a question you could ask is how long have you been with your representation? Um, so, you know, I just don't want to say anything about any creator situation or relationship because it's, it's complicated because, um, different people do business differently, but long story short, if someone's going to charge a high percentage, then you, I would ask these questions. I would be like, can I call you? So if something comes up, who's the one helping me? Is it you? Is there a different agent or manager? How much, and not just like weekly meetings, but like how, how's it going to work? How does communication work? Some agencies like completely remove the talent from email threads and talent wants to be on Mm -hmm. other ones do communication. Um, so finding the right tailored sort of system for you, I think, as a creator. So. Yep. Is that helpful? Is that, yeah, yeah. And I, I, does that I, cover it? The, the assumption would be there also if uh, an agent or manager, particularly a manager is taking more, you expect more. So if, it, if it's a, and then you can suss out that expectation. So if someone's taking 10% as a manager, then, and you find out what those expectations are in your line, then great. If someone's taking 30%, you should expect quite rightly to get more from that manager at a higher level. Um, and if you don't feel that you're going to get that, yeah. Also expenses, yep. thinking about expenses as well. So some people um, still take the Hollywood model. They charge fees. So they'll be like, I'm going to South by Southwest for you. So then they charge back the flight, the hotel, their expenses, their transportation to the client, <laughs> which I, I'm not a fan of personally. And some people do different ways of double dipping. Like they co-own ventures with their people or things without the client necessarily understanding that happens in comedy and acting and management and 
there's also sorry there's also business manager in in hollywood and in youtube which is they take five percent and they kind of help you with all your purchases like your house your car and they take five percent of all your money but they solve stuff for you and that's very standard in hollywood as well so some people end up giving away like close to 50 percent 40 30 40 50 percent of their money um and the business manager can really like sign for you. Agencies also have the money funnel through them. So it's, it's just really, really important to like f- understand what you're signing on yeah. to. And I think that's where you asked me earlier, who needs one and how does it work? It's yeah. understanding where you are in your career trajectory and how you want it to go, how you want your life to run. So what, like, you know, it, it's a lot of these serv- like offers and services are really, uh, 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 full-time professional quite advanced top tier talent right like what about you know creators that are full-time they're doing all right they're making money they're making money they've got you know they've got it all sorted how do they know when it's time or if it's time to get representation i would i would think about how how additive it is to your business so if the sum total is you'll be slightly more efficient with representation and there isn't really going to be like a leap that might not be worth it. If that representation is going to be do answering your, your emails and doing your invoicing and doing a stuff, a lot of stuff that lifts stuff off your plate. So it's also asking about your own team. Do you have an executive assistant, part-time, full-time who helps you with stuff? What are your pain points for you? Some people like to do invoices and to-do lists. Some people hate them. Some people are good with equipment and borrowing it or renting it or thinking about how to store it, insurance, their space, looking at their YouTube analytics or AdSense and tax optimization. Some people are terrible at it. And I've, I've seen it all. So I think people sometimes surprise you with what they're good at and what they like. They often aren't reflective about that. You know, so it's, if you can understand the pain points you're trying to alleviate and you say, wow, this will solve four pain points for me. And I could see myself really growing. I think my rule of thumb is you should see if you think it will double your revenue and lessen your workload. That's kind of the golden metric, I think over a year, let's say. So if you're um, a creator, let's say you're a comedian and you have, let's make up a person, right? So they do comedy. They were doing it on Instagram. They had, I'm just making this up. Yeah. If this ends up being the same as someone's career. I'm completely <laughs> making it up. They had 62,000 Instagram followers. They got written up in like the daily mail or, you know, whatever publication got verification check mark. Um, did a collab with someone else, something got duetted, did something with Elton John, saw real growth to 110,000 on Instagram. TikTok account does really well. They have 300,000 on TikTok and there are 50,000 on YouTube. So decent numbers, you know, 50,000 on YouTube, 110 or whatever we said on Instagram, 500, I forget what we said about TikTok. Um, <laughs> Understanding monetization is going to be complicated because AdSense on YouTube is not going to probably be so strong, right? They're not going to be getting consistent advertising money from YouTube. Brand deals will be potentially a little bit hard to do if their comedies, let's say a bit racy Mm -hmm. or, you know, thinking about the right brand alignments and are they they actually sell products? Because if they're funny, it could be that they sell well, it could be that they don't. And so that creator should ask themselves, what are my goals? Do I want to do um, performances, stage performances and the tour and book out, sell out a tour, a comedy tour, you know, be careful about saying I want a Netflix special because every comedian, you know, kind of says that. And then which platforms, how do I want to grow? Am I going to be making a podcast, for example, with other comedians? Am I, what, what is that path? And then talking to the manager or agent or whomever, perspective ones and saying, how are you going to help me in this realm? Here are the things I'm interested in. What do you think? And then hearing how solid do their ideas sound, what the action steps would be, what, you know, and asking them too about comedians. So if, if you're a comedian, 
does the person you're talking to understand comedy? Do they know your world? Do they, do you feel like they get it, you know? And then asking other comedian friends who are successful, not successful or whatever, like, have you guys ever checked any managers out? Do you know or agents? Do you know any going, you know, maybe if you do things at a comedy club, asking the bookers or different people there, doing your research, I think is huge. And remembering that obviously like press online is, is kind of puff PC often. So it's like, you might read like, this is the best manager in Australia. And it might just be this kind of show yeah. thing, yeah. you know? That's a good hypothetical because that's like a you know a smaller smaller relatively smaller creator like a doing well but they're not like the megastar. Um, does everyone want to work with them? Like, does every agent or manager want to work with talent at that size? Like, how do they? That's a good question. So I think in those instances, I had lunch with someone today, and it was it was interesting because this person really cares about creators and their culture and kind of things like that. Some people only care, primarily care about money. Some people are in a niche. So I think some agents or managers will come back. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't hurt me to have a comedian on my roster or something. It's kind of free money, whatever. Yeah, come on. They just kind of want to sign you. Some might really be interested in comedy. Some might see something in that person. But I think you as the talent need to divine, figure out what it is about you that the representation is drawn to and asking questions in that regard. So I'll give you an example. Like, let's say um, there are some really funny people who have talent and you're not exactly sure well that where they're with, where they will land. Right. So Kyle Mooney, for example, from SNL, you know him, he's kind of long haired and, He's, he's a pioneer of YouTube, actually. So his, if you look up his YouTube channel called Kyle, 12 years ago, he was making really groundbreaking comedic stuff on YouTube. Like he was a real OG on YouTube. So, you know, with people like Kyle, it probably would have been unclear to representation whether he was going to be a face of comedy, whether he was going to be directing or writing or what he was, but he had a certain something. And once somebody gets on Saturday Night Live, which you got on to, you're going to get a lot more yeah. calls, right? So if you have an appearance, there's, you know, there are a few TikTok comedians who, for example, have been blowing up now. They're in the zeitgeist. So in the beginning, they had trouble paying rent, right? But as soon as they hit and they're on a HBO show, let's say, or something, or a Showtime show or whatever it is, they're super recognized. Their brand equity goes up a lot. So it could be a good sign if somebody reaches out to you early. Some agencies and some management companies just kind of throw a net. They kind of they have software often that just tells them about rising creators. And they just say, hey, Ant, wow, saw your podcast. You ask such great questions. I love your whole energy, you know. It just, I'd love to chat with you about podcasts are really taking off and I have so many great ideas for you and would love to chat. And it's just like a hyper seem it's a seemingly personalized email. And you'd laugh when you see these. I, I just received an email from someone and it said, um, I think they left their coding was a bit off. So it said, um, have you been to such and such restaurant based on my search <laughs> location? It's near you. I heard it's great. And it's this weird thing of the code. They just, they screwed up the way that their email software is personalizing things. Um, so that was, that was pretty hilarious. Um, but I, I see it with creators all the time. So somebody will say, you play the guitar. Wow. So it's so incredible. And I have to tell you, I never say this. And I'm so moved by your guitar playing. And I really think that the way that you play the guitar and creators, they don't fall for it. Just yeah, it's flattering. You're not being reached out to a lot. And when you go to the website, it looks really legitimate, you know, and, and you get written to by the head of the agency. And it says we represent all these big people and you go to their webpage and it says we work with and, you know, huge brands. And I'll say we work with Samsung and we work with Adidas and we work with the Super Bowl, And, you know, here's our person. So it's it's hard to yeah. know. So that's when you bring back your system. You say, who will work with me? Do they get me? You know, who else do they work with? Really asking the questions. What's the plan for my career? Who are other people in my category you like? 
And and that last piece that you said, is it going to make a meaningful difference both in my revenue and my time? Like, I think that's also uh, like, you know. Yes. Yeah. I, I get the feeling a lot of people fall into representation early with not questionable operators. And I don't, sometimes there are questionable operators with questionable intent. And sometimes there are people with good intent who just don't have the bandwidth to be able to do what they in, truly intend to do. Um, but either way, it, it, it ends up yes. with a bad experience for the creator. And I think sometimes a lot of creators end up in those relationships primarily because like, it feels like they've been validated. They get validation because that's a milestone. You get X number of subscribers, you get a, you get yes. X number of brand deals that have come through and you've dealt with them correctly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and someone wants to represent you. It's validation um, from the yes. from the machine or from the, the industry. Exactly. So I think that's one to be careful of. Yes, you, it's that's exactly right. I think you nailed it. And to add to that by way of analogy, record labels. So when a musician is like, I'm signed to blah. So in reality, a lot of musicians will say, don't rush to sign with a label or an imprint. But it sounds, you think it's validation and you've made it. And by way of comparison, models too often, they just sign something and it says that the agency owns their rights forever. And it's like, actually, you could carve out things. You could say you have my rights to runways, but not billboards or um, different materials, different ephemeral things, but also like digital. I can do my own digital brand deals. And if people are willing to engage with you and have those conversations, that's good. If people are really like, set in their ways and they say, no, I do it this way for these reasons. And it's convincing. That's also good, but taking your time and not feeling. And then as you say, people do end up feeling trapped often because they got reached out to right as they were starting to take off. It feels odd to them. The people are often scary and threatening and they hear stories of their friends. And then there isn't stuff about it on the internet because people don't want to disparage other people. Um, So, or they're scared of illegal thread or something so there are a couple of places that are notorious and have tons and tons and tons of clients and they just bombard people with emails they bring on more people they keep using their big names to say i'm legit because i have these big names and then they just bring on hordes and hordes and hordes and they don't have any scruples they just have thousands and thousands of clients and we sometimes hear about it in the press you know it's been there are a couple of stories that broke over the past mm. two years but it's not talked about very much. No, and I think it should be, but yeah. Um, and then I guess like the, like what's interesting is a lot of this feels like traditional media world stuff coming onto digital media world. Isn't the online space meant to be like all radical and yes. different and a whole bunch of creators just breaking all the rules and having no gatekeepers? Like should it be different or is it like this is just yeah. – this is – this is how it should be. I think I think that's the history of media. Everything always, you know, the rights of spring, Stravinsky shocked people. I just went to a a show um in in New York talking about an artist, you know, uh from a hundred years ago who couldn't sell his work. because uh, it was too bold in Paris and Germany. So we have these moments, you know, both of those examples are a hundred years old. Um, but in more recent times, Elvis only broke on black radio. Um, you know, the Beatles, it caused a scandal. Um, the Doors got, you know, on the Sullivan show saying couldn't get higher, caused a scandal. So it's oftentimes these moments. And then you and then you evolve, right? So the Beatles stopped playing concerts because the audience was too loud, right? And um, and you have that those kinds of moments throughout throughout time. So Blondie had Basquiat in her, you know, music video and you kind of, these moments in Warhol knew Basquiat and Blondie and these different connectivities in New York in a certain time. Today, I mean, one, one of the things happening is we have this digital forum, like the Roman forum in the sense of you're meeting people you haven't seen physically and it's causing a disjuncture, but one thing that's interesting is you still have, you have Jimmy Fallon, right? Who hosts different people, Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> they have people, sometimes 
the world and digital world don't really get along. Like, you know, if you see Ninja kind of flossing and the ball drop in Times Square, kind of funny internet moments like that people don't understand. Today, you have people like Joe Rogan being like, who's Andrew Tate? Like, why? You know, and my kids and how did he get popular? And how do people share him? So you have Joe Rogan talking to Mr. Beast about TikTok and Mr. Beast will be like, oh, it's really interesting. People post my stuff. And Jargon's like, oh, people do that with my stuff on TikTok too. So authorship and fandom, how you post, how you relate to the platforms is evolving so much. And we had newsletters were huge a few years ago, you know, the skim and wire cutter was, you know, it's just funny how things evolve and change. And all those things have a home on, on the digital platform. So YouTube has people review phones and TVs and do different things, but also they learn skills. So, I mean, I just went to this event and there was this amazing builder who's doing electric vehicles and the tuk-tuk space. Um, and they're green tuk-tuks and he's going to maybe change the world. And he learned a lot of his knowledge. He's from India, from YouTube. You know, he learned, and I hear this all the time, you know, coding and really complex math, really all these skills. There's that side, there's silly sides, there are dark sides, there are funny sides. But as, as you say about the intersectionality with Hollywood, there's this question of like, is that where you discover talent or do concerts mean anything? Where do you discover funny people? There are also false signals. So a lot of people are kind of like, oh, this is blowing up. I should sign this person or whatever. And I think as a smart manager agent, you also want to think about the trajectory of the career and the longevity. Where will this person be in three, four, five, 10, 20 years? How tenacious are they? How charming? How magical are they? All intangible things. <laughs> and that's the question. They're intangibles, but you kind of, you see, and I mean, um, that's, that's where it's, it's fun to think about these things. So, um, I don't, you know, I don't ever want to sound negative about any types of creators, but if you think about the waves of like the most popular TikTokers and you look up lists, mm -hmm. let's say from a year ago, two years ago and see where they are now and think of, okay, could I have seen that coming? But the platform also changed the types of content that was popular. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, we're running out of time, but I want well, like, we're sort of, it's a, relatively good segue so like where's the like we're looking ahead then the future right like where do you see the future like is it going to stay like this is it going to change what's the short medium maybe let's go long term what's the long term future for this i mean so platforms will keep evolving and so for example today we we're talking about shopify and amazon and there's also startups like fourth wall and they're different players in the creator economy space but they're also in the writ large space so if you think about Amazon, Amazon's moving into healthcare and with Facebook, I, this is not insider information or anything. I'm just saying what people are talking about. Some people think that Facebook is going to create a super app. So it's going to be Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp. And it's going to be one place where you can shop, watch videos, communicate with friends, you know, buy your, buy your plane tickets, book the hotel, and you do it all within the meta, which is the yeah. parent company ecosystem. Um, you know, and then companies like Google have been more firewalled. Like it's been more like Google is separate from YouTube and they have very strict rules. Companies like TikTok are undergoing transformation. People are always asking questions. Companies like Snapchat have their things that are surprisingly popular. Um, Pinterest is also a company that will start moving into video. We don't know what's happening with Twitter. Some people predict that. <laughs> Elon's plans for Twitter to be like the crypto place, right? That all the crypto conversation, forget Reddit, will happen there. And essentially my thought is we're going to keep seeing micro changes in the industry. So for example, with sports, just recently we changed, the rules were changed for sponsorships of your name and likeness before your colleges could control them. And now control has been ceded to athletes. Yeah. So much like in the other things you mentioned, there'll be like shady actors, unscrupulous ones will move into that space. There'll be like a period of a lot of uncertainty. There'll be articles that will say, this soccer player who wasn't even a starter on their high school team just made $100,000 to sell a water bottle. There'll be these silly stories. 
and the lessons people draw will be complicated. And as far as representation, the representation, some people say it's only as good as talent. Some people say representation is strong. I think basically representatives have to change the playbook because, you know, since time immemorial, in the old days, you know, you could say the movie studios ran talent. So they would have a long contract with you. You'd be signed to MGM or whichever, you know, studio you're with. And then they could say the power dynamics change. And some people think that as monopolies and things strengthen, so companies, for example, um, Paramount, CBS, Viacom is a big company. They have VidCon, which we love. And they have CBS as the biggest TV network, you know, and then you have other players like NBC are starting, you know, they have Peacock and they have different things. Sometimes things like Quibi fall apart, right? Which is going to be a Netflix competitor. So good representation is going to understand where those things are undulating and find things. Some agents are really good at, by the way, at finding like really lucrative, big deals within things like Quibi. Like I just got you like seven figures to make this show, you know, there's crazy things will happen once in a while, but generally it's going to be the person who's a long and steady wins a race, where it's going to be the architect that you want for your career as a creator. So you're going to want to hear someone not just say, Hey, you're an Australian soccer player. I'll make you the next, you know, David Beckham and you'll be like at the Prada shows, like, cause Noah Beck, for example, plays, so- plays soccer and, you know, you see him at the Louis Vuitton show that a lot of work went into doing that for Noah Beck. Emma Chamberlain was also doing things, creating her voice. So I think it really, it's a constellation of like the creator finding themselves and then the representation really being able to like amplify that, maximize it and then get, opportunities with everyone being sober and mindful and consistent. So that, that's the real magic. Like that's why on a lot of TV shows and movies you see, it's like the agent kind of like in their car <laughs> and like, Hey, how you doing? And the person's shocked to hear from them, you know, that yeah. trope. Um, so that, that's a funny thing. And then some other times you might have a really junior person without that many connections and they're just getting you to put like a 20% off sale for like a fast fashion company in your bio and you know, things that are happening now are the FTC and FCC, which are regulators in America. They're going to really come down. I think on those kinds of undeclared sponsorships, I think creators will, no one knows whether their own products are really working or not. There's like, you hear stories about things that are working and not working. And there's a lot of fatigue and mental health issues as well with creators. Like there's so many platforms, so much, demand to do it so i think good representation also is going to be the right kind of motivation for their talent like you need to be kind of a coach meets um support system and looking out for those push and pull because if they're just pushing you to do deals all day long that's really dangerous yeah no that's that's a great crystal ball and also great insight on that and probably the best place to leave it um reuben thanks so much for hanging out mate i really appreciate it <laughs> we've got another episode coming up with you for sure around the other future stuff but thanks for hanging out i really appreciate it thanks for having me thanks for all the great work you do in encouraging creators and the ecosystem and supporting people and educating and informing i think is, is key and also being motivators so really appreciate all the work you're doing and it was fun thanks buddy